We'd like to dedicate this episode to George Floyd, his family, and all those suffering from this tragedy. We can't breathe. He's on McCarr, and I'm Telly Concepcion, and together we are Beyond the Numbers Podcast. We go beyond the numbers of sports and life to bring you the story within the story of the stories that matter. So come learn, grow, and have some fun with us. We are Beyond the Numbers Podcast. On today's episode, the guys discuss the return of sports globally amid COVID-19. They debate the proposals put forth by the NHL and NBA in the USA, and they pitch the possibility of the universal designated hitter in Major League Baseball. But first, their numbers of the day. My number of the day is 32. As in, in 1963, the Dodgers pitcher Sandy Koufax and the New York Yankees catcher Elston Howard, each won their respective league's MVP award. Both players wore the number 32. Also, in a weird little twist, the NFL's MVP that year was Jim Brown. And what number did Jim Brown wear? 32. My number for today, Ahmed, is 10. We made it to 10 episodes now. We're last dance status. Michael Jordan, watch out. Also, we've surpassed some good news, which only made it on into eight episodes. And then John Krasinski sold that thing quick. Just a little side plug, you know, we, we, if you want to buy us, we'll take it. <laughs> but we do this for the people. <laughs> I feel like John had a little more clout going into it. Uh, so he had a slightly larger viewership to begin with, but we'll get there. This is grassroots here. Grassroots, baby. And we love it. And we love the listeners. Thank you for rocking with us. Before the business, time for our new segment, Before the Business, where we answer all the questions that went unanswered. We find the numbers that went, well, unfound in previous episodes. Matt, shout outs to Matt in Tampa. Matt in Tampa pointed out on it that I said that Steve Kerr could have been a great coach for your Bulls. Obviously meant to say you're next there. Yeah, you know, in the moment I heard it, but I let it slide. You knew what we are talking about. That's good. That's good. So shout-outs to you, Matt. Thank you for being a loyal beyonder since the first episode. Thank you for listening. Now back to the business. For our first story, we cover the return of sports in general. And we'll start off by saying there's a lot of speculation, but we wanted to give you just a general overview of what's been going on in the world of sports and what's been trying to make a return logistically and what's been successful. Amit, we start with golf and the match, which took place this weekend to raise money for COVID-19 relief. 
Any thoughts here? I know you have thoughts because we were texting the whole time, man. <laughs> man, it was fun to watch. I mean, I know we're all kind of starved for sports and um, anything live has been fun, but it was uh, it was surprisingly fun to watch. Um, I think they paired them up pretty well uh, based on personalities and whatnot, but dude, Peyton and Tom Brady are both good golfers. Um, in reality, uh, Brady's got an 8.1 handicap and Peyton's got a 6.4 handicap. And for anyone that wonders what that means, the easiest way to think about that is if you're playing a course that has par set at 72 for the course, right? If you have a 10 handicap, that means you would normally shoot an 82. So 10 over par um, on that course. So they both have pretty decent handicaps. Um, decent golfers i think Peyton's probably a little better because he's had a slightly more time off lately to play uh so it was uh it was fun to watch i think their back and forth was the best though the little yeah with each other. zero expectations and they were definitely the back and forth was awesome yeah between between peyton wanting belichick as his caddy uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and, and just the little the little digs at each other back and forth was was fun, but it was it was good to see that golf could be done in this situation. Now, for what it's worth, they all kind of looked miserable because it was pouring all day, and who wants to play eighteen holes of golf when it's raining? Probably no one. Um, who wants their pants to split? <laughs> who wants their pants to split? Yeah, do, do we think do we do we have an Under Armour scandal here? That's Under Armour for sure. Or did Tom fart? I don't know. I mean, Brady did say his his uh, cheeks were social distancing. <laughs> so I don't know. He went down to get that ball. <laughs> uh, but uh, maybe, maybe you don't wear skinny jeans when you play golf. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever works. Um, but I think from a logistical standpoint, it was cool to see. It was pretty easy for them to do. Um, golf, of course, already a lot of social distancing going on, right? Uh, kind of all over the place. You have your own cart. Um, so I think if, if there's one sport that could probably come back the easiest, golf would probably be it. Uh, so they made it fun. Uh, they, they made it close at the end. Uh, they definitely uh, came back. Mickelson and Brady put a little, uh, little run together on the back nine uh, and almost made a game of it. So that was fun. But it Most was importantly, 20 million raised for COVID-19 relief. That was huge. And the Twitter beefs, the Twitter people tweeting live during the match. I love Chuck Chuck's analysis of hits, jawing back and forth with Tom Brady. I couldn't believe that Tom Brady and, and Charles Barkley don't know each other, have never met. That was crazy to me, and it was in good fun that they were able to jaw back and forth and not take anything too personal. Yeah, did you watch Charles and his, uh, what was it, his par challenge at the end? Or bogey it challenge? It was a bogey challenge. <laughs> par challenge <laughs> and man, they should have gave him that one, $300,000 uh, towards relief. If he would have made it, he comes probably within a foot of the hole and they don't give it to him. Come on. It's not really a gimme. But he was his his golf has been epically bad historically. There's good record of that, so um, it was uh, it was definitely fun to watch. It was fun to see sports again. Uh, Tiger said pretty much nothing 
for the entire 18 holes. Uh, <laughs> He's in the zone, man. That's his game. That's his sport. I guess. Tiger's pretty quiet in general. I would make some changes. So I heard something over the weekend that I would love to propose. How about a, the last dance reunion show on the golf course? Michael Jordan, Horace Grant, uh, get Scottie Pippen out there. They can all air out their beasts. Let's invite Isaiah Thomas. Get Isaiah to out there too. Yeah. All guys play golf together. You could probably turn that into a... Uh... That could be an MMA pay-per-view. <laughs> Dana White could get them on his islands. Make it happen. I would definitely check that out. My other suggestion for the next version of the match, Steph Curry wants in. Steph Curry can golf now. Let's get Steph Curry in there. Let's get Tony Romo in there who can also golf. In other sports news, we know that France, Scotland, Belgium, and the Netherlands have all canceled their seasons. Um, of soccer, but other leagues are taking tentative steps towards resumption. Most notably, Amit Bundesliga, which is Germany's top soccer league. They actually put out a 51 page plan to restart, and teams were in a seven day quarantine ahead of the league's return. Players are tested twice a week, and if they return with a positive result, they're placed into a 14 day isolation. Games have a strict limit on personnel, and you and I talked about how baseball can return and how basketball return. While the total personnel in a soccer match, I didn't even know this, 322 people are allowed in and around the stadium, which in our current environment sounds like a lot. Um, Everyone except for the players on the field and officials wear masks. There's no mascots. Players are told to celebrate with ankle or elbow taps, and they're being asked not to spit. In addition to that, they have a five-player substitution rule instead of a three. This is to avoid injuries and a long layoff. People were scared this would slow the game down too much, but it hasn't. Yeah, I think Germany's also handled this really well from the beginning. So if anyone's <clears throat> well-equipped to, to take it on and, and take the first steps, I think that's that's the right spot. Um, yeah, 322 people, that's a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot for a minimal amount of people you want at a stadium in the circumstances. Yeah, that's a lot. And I think the bigger question and the bigger problem I think every league is going to face as they start up is these new suggestions and rules, you know, ankle taps, elbow taps, don't spit. That's not going to happen. You just you're reflexively going to do stuff. Yeah, it's definitely reflex. Uh, the English Premier League is trying to start up. They have a project called Project Restart. The league announced that clubs could train in small groups. And on Tuesday, the results of their testing were released, Amit. And there were a few surprises in there. So six out of 748 players and staff members reported testing positive for the coronavirus and were told to self-isolate for seven days. Is it worth the risk to the athletes? That's the big question. I think a lot of the American teams and a lot of the American leagues are, are asking and taking a look at these other leagues to see if it is worth it or not. The UFC drew up their own 20-page health and safety document, but something <laughs> slipped through the cracks on it. Jakari Souza and two of his corner men tested positive for COVID-19 the day before UFC 249. He was pulled from the fight and removed from the hotel and asked to self-isolate off-premises. But he'd come into contact with other people already. 
including UFC president Dana White, who fist bumped with him at the weigh-in. Currently, Amit, we talked about a bubble for baseball. We talked about a bubble for basketball. UFC doesn't have a bubble. Fighters and other personnel weren't tested before they arrived. They're not tested after the fight to see if they got it during the fight. And there's no social distancing between arrival and return of the test results. That's spotty. Some coaches and corners who have fighters on more than one card or more than one fight, they weren't tested multiple times for COVID-19, just the one and given the green pass. Yeah, I mean, he's been one of the one of the guys more than anyone else that's been trying to push, 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 push uh, to get this thing going. So uh, he he'll do anything and everything to make sure his he can start the fight, and if that means maybe half half hazardly go through the uh, the process of testing, that's part of it. Say, yep, we're good, we're good, we're good, let's go. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but. You know, UFC, unlike any of these other sports, you know, you don't have 322 people at these locations. Um, yeah. So at least from that standpoint, the exposure rate and the number of people involved are significantly smaller. Yeah, and finally we get to NASCAR, Amit. And everyone at the racetrack had their temperatures checked before admission into the garage. They spread the garages out, so I guess normally they're lined up. They had them in the infield this time. Working and walking lanes were marked by miles, literally miles of red tape, like literal red tape, with promises of ejections and fines if anyone got out of their prescribed social distancing lane and if anyone refused to wear protective face masks. NASCAR said none of the 900 people on the racetrack grounds were found to be symptomatic or had even an elevated temperature. And the only hiccup that NASCAR experienced during this race plan was that 40 team spotters who are usually crammed into a tiny area, I guess they got excited and drifted away from the designated spot that they had. And people on TV saw them and started tweeting, yelling at NASCAR. NASCAR quickly made an announcement over the loudspeaker telling them to get back into their designated areas. But there was NASCAR, there was a race, it was televised. And it did excite people for what this future of sport could be. Yeah, NASCAR had been running virtual races for a while. Yeah, and that's another one I think that on paper seems like it would make sense, right? Socially distance, you're in a car, you're racing against other guys in a car, but there's a lot of logistics on the backside as far as the team and the pit crews are concerned. I'm not sure the logistics of social distancing during those times. Yeah, but I think NASCAR probably is, is pretty well positioned with their first test to, to keep going. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. As we've discussed in previous episodes, the logistics of sports returning are more complex than just playing the games, having the ball, having the court secured, having the players play. There's a lot more that goes into it. And it seems that at the moment, it's a country by country, league by league, state by state type approach. We hope sports can return soon, but we definitely want to make sure it can be done in a safe way. For our second story today, we talk the NHL and the NBA return to the USA. Our number for the story, two. 
Cancellation of the season could result in the loss of $2 billion of basketball-related income for the NBA. Two is also the number of hub cities that the NHL is proposing in its return plan. So for those of you who don't know, and I think by now everyone knows, um, and especially if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, you know all sports have shut down. Um, we've, we've sort of league by league has been waiting uh, for a couple of reasons. Optics, you want to make sure you're not coming back too soon and taking away testing from people, um, but also making sure that you secure the safety and security of all player, personnel, staff, um, coaches, all of that. So. I think what we've come to realize now is that uh, there's no zero risk to players across the board um, and that an infection uh, could uh, lead to major complications, of course, depending on uh, an individual player's health and pre-existing conditions. Um, so I think the players, regardless of, you know, we think of them as athletes and all of that, regardless of all of that, um, there, there is a risk. Um, and I think the concerns for testing capacity all of those things that were there maybe two months ago and probably even two or three weeks ago um has has gone down significantly i know at least in the state of new york um and and in manhattan uh testing and and accurate testing is now widely available Um, there's locations for all new yorkers to get tested uh, both for covid19 and for antibodies so I think as testing has become more prevalent and available nationwide, leagues are more likely um, and are more willing to start inching back into a situation where they will start to have to utilize significant numbers of tests uh, for their entire staff, for all the players on a daily basis. Um, So I think this is why we're starting to see a shift in the conversations occurring across the board, whether it's the NHL, the NBA, MLB, all of those, uh, all the major leagues um, are starting to really solidify some of their plans to come back. So I think NHL had some pretty big uh, pieces and some pretty big announcements over the last 48 hours. Um, so let's start there. Yeah, definitely. I think that was great. Um, it, um, breakdown, and we talked about in episode three, all the logistics involved, and it's just more than just players that are involved with leagues. But then in, in the NHL's plan, the games will be held inside empty arenas, at two hub cities where players, staff, and others would be housed during the the season restart. The hubs would have secure arenas, hotel, and practice facilities. This is the hub that we've talked about or that you've heard thrown around. And there would be aggressive COVID-19 testing and protocols at each site. The NHL will move on to a 24-team conference-based postseason format that was approved by the Players Association by a 29-2 vote, and the only teams that voted it down on it was actually my Tampa Bay Lightning because they were killing it this season, and Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, These games will be played with playoff overtime rules, and the play-in series will determine which teams advance to a traditional 16-team Stanley Cup playoff bracket. And so that's the proposal that NHL put forth. It looks like they're moving forward with that as of now, as of the recording of our podcast today and we really wanted to dive into what the NBA is trying to do on it because they have a couple options here it looks like the hockey season is going to be finished and they're going to start with playoffs and let the teams that were in contention for the playoffs play into the playoffs the NBA has thrown around a couple different proposals um they're getting a lot of mixed reviews from but basically they have the option to finish the season 
they can start the play, which I think they left off at like game 67 and in basketball is 82 game season, right? They can start the playoffs. So end the season, start the playoffs immediately, or they can have a tournament where all the teams would start at zero and they would basically have an NCAA style tournament to determine a champion. And, uh, you know, that would definitely disadvantage Milwaukee who was in first place and the Lakers who seem to be separating themselves in the West. Yeah, I think it, it gets interesting because uh, specifically with basketball, uh, and I know you had talked, you had brought this up when we spoke about this earlier, there's some TV contracts and some money involved there in making sure they get at least 70 games in. Is that correct? Yeah, so it looks like a lot of the local TV deals, and we'll have to confirm this, but from what we're, some of our initial research, some of the local TV deals, 70 games is the minimum number of games that they have the rights to to honor the contract. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because there's been players come out that say if games don't matter, like Dame Lillard, if these games don't matter, if we don't have a legitimate shot at the playoffs, you know, why should I play? I'll I'll be there because I'm part of the team and, you know, I'm a team guy, but I'm not going to risk my body. And this is aside from COVID, I think this is injury risk as well. I'm not going to risk my body for meaningless games. So we got to think how many more guys are thinking like that, right? Yeah, and it's even, it's not just how many guys, it's how many big name guys are thinking like that. Yeah, the marquee player. Because the NBA is a star-driven league, right? So if if you get enough stars falling out, you're just not going to really have much of anything. So I think, you know, I think starting the playoffs would probably be the most optimal way to go. Uh, There may be a couple of fringe teams that they have to figure out. I could see doing a quick playoff if you're like on the fringe where you had a chance to make it in. Um, You know, if you're that nine seed, 10 seed, that's only a game, game and a half behind, two games behind, something like that, whatever that looks like where, you know, with, if they're at 67, they still have what, 15 games left. If you, you if you had whatever gets gets the Knicks in, right? Is that what you're going I don't think the Knicks, the Knicks haven't won 17 games this season. So I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that, but but I think for some of those fringe teams, to be fair, I think it would make sense to have them come in. A, a tournament could be fun, right? Like, hey, let's have our own little March Madness, but that you're pretty much just throwing away the entire regular season. Then you're saying, hey, it doesn't matter. Let's just based on your seating, let's make it happen, one and done sort of deal. Could be fun, but at that point, it's more of a let's have fun with this season rather than let's crown a a champion for this season. In my mind, I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I think it'd be fun, for sure. It would be hilarious. It would be fun to watch, you know, the Warriors. Steph Curry's back now. Clay might be healthy to throw a Warriors team in there in the mix and let the Knicks get in there and let Zion be in there, you know, teams that didn't have a chance all season to watch. But I think I agree with you. We've gotten too much of the season. We've seen... The cream has risen to the top, right? We've seen what the better teams look like in the league. I don't think there's any reason to scrap that and start from scratch and let every team in. But I know the NBA too, it it, it goes and often often like baseball too, those wild card teams ends up being the last night of the season where you determine the eighth seed um, in basketball. And a couple of teams could be all the way from, at least on the East, all the way from the sixth seed or the fifth seed, all the way to out of the playoffs based on one or two games 
remaining at the end of the season. So it'd definitely be interesting to see how, how they come out on the other side of this. No, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, if, if you really look at the fun of a of an NCAA type tournament versus the, hey, you've accomplished all this through the season. Here's the rankings. I feel like you got to go with they've they've played too much of the season. If if this was a you know 15 20 games into the season or before the season even starts and you're like, "Hey, you know, we're going to have to scrap the whole season, but are would you be down for a March Madness type tournament?" I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, but you're pretty much, you know, 95% of the way done with the regular season. So you've got a it I would even be down to expand the number of seeds available instead of one through eight, maybe you go one through ten. Let ten in. Why not do a wild card? Bring the baseball wild card to basketball and yeah, do have a play each other playing, right? Yeah. Oh man, that would be crazy. Be oh my god, that'd be crazy. <laughs> I think that'd be sweet. Bring in the wildcat format from baseball. Let the two teams that aren't in the playoff duke it out for one game and then have to travel like the next day to play and start the series i'm like yeah let that let do that bring that into the game because i think it would give some of those teams on the fringe a little bit of hope and definitely some excitement you know what i think i think uh you know i know i know adam silver's a long time listener adam, oh yeah silver's a, he's got a, a plan there. i think you got a plan I think you, you add some wild cards in there, get some some one game one game playoffs on those fringe teams, and let's see what happens. Look, think about the number of people that tuned into NASCAR that don't watch NASCAR and enjoyed yeah. it. Think of the number of people that don't watch golf but definitely tuned into watch golf and had fun with that. Could you imagine an actual NBA game with playoff implications where it's sort of one one game sudden death? Yeah. You know, oh my God. You, you, <laughs> Look, they had record numbers watching the NFL draft. That's right. That's right. So this could be a win-win for everyone. These teams get a shot. You have some extra games. You're not playing a whole five-game or seven-game series. Um, and I think you could get some really, really exciting basketball. Commissioner Silver, we know you're listening. You're a loyal beyonder. We thank you. We ask that you consider our uh, our submission for the new NBA in a wildcat format. Thank you. Wild card, wild card, not wildcat. That's the format. Wild card format. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hey. And, and, and all we're asking for is a little shout out. When this goes public, you know, in a week when the NBA comes out and says they're going to do 10 seeds, you're going to have the nine and 10 be wild cards where they have a one game playoff. Just, just a little shout out. Just a little shout out to your boys at Beyond the Numbers. That's all. Yeah. For our final story of the day, we're going to talk about the potential for a universal designated hitter. Our number for the story is three. From 1973 to the conclusion of the 2019 season, only nine players have appeared in a thousand or more games at the designated hitter position. All of them are retired from the game, and three of them are in the Hall of Fame. Frank Thomas, Paul Molitor, and most recently, Edgar Martinez. David Ortiz retired in 2017 and is not eligible for the Hall yet. But 
he's gonna be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, definitely. You know, that's my Dominican uncle right there. So we gotta gotta give shouts out to Big Papi, who's a huge beyonder, by the way. So for those that don't know, what is a designated hitter? The designated hitter, commonly referred to as a DH, is a player in the batting order to hit only, not to play defense. He hits in place usually of the pitcher. If the DH is replaced by a player who then takes a position, the pitcher must bat in the designated hitter's place. So why does this even matter? And why are we bringing it up? Well, bringing the DH to the National League is one of baseball's longest running arguments. And it's been hewing towards adoption for years. And its inclusion out of necessity in 2020 could actually put an end to the debate. And yeah, so why is it being included in 2020? It's to add roster spots in both leagues. Um, So they're trying it and they've been pushing towards this for a while. Uh, But it looks like this may actually be the final tipping point. So as far back as the early 20th century, they've kind of been talking about how to keep pitchers out of the batter's box, right? In 1973, it was put to a vote and it was passed in the American League. But the National League had outscored the American League in seven of the last eight seasons prior to this vote. So they didn't feel like they needed a boost in offense by removing the pitcher and adding another hitter. So they rejected it. So from 73 to 75, the AL used a DH in all games, except for the World Series. Then from 76 to 85, they used it in every other World Series. And then finally, in 1986, they landed the current rules of the home ballpark version we have today. So if the home team is an American League team, both teams will have a DH. If it is a National League team, there is no DH currently. So in a World Series, if a National League team has home field advantage, how does that play out? Well, you're going to have two games at home, no DH, three games away where there will be a DH, and then two more games at home without DH. So currently that is how the rules play out. Now, what does that mean? What's the argument for having the universal DH? Well, the most obvious argument is that pitchers really can't hit anymore. They're not very good at it. So... We're going to talk a little bit about stats here, but in 2019, pitchers hit had a 230 had a 322 OPS, which is significantly lower than the league average of 758 and the DH average of 782. Now, I know I just threw out OPS as a number. What does that mean? Enlighten us. <laughs> so OPS is on base percentage plus slugging percentage, right? And it gives you one number that unites the two. And there's a formula there, it doesn't matter. What people need to know is essentially it tells you how well a hitter can reach base and how well he could hit for average and power. So how well is said person able to get get on base during an at bat and how well they can either hit the long ball or they can hit extra base hits, whatever that is. So that that is your essential stat that OPS is. 
So, so the higher this is, the better it is. The lower it is, the worse it is, right? Yeah. So if your league average is 758 and pitchers are at 322, that, that's not even league average, right? So Joe Schmo, you don't even know <laughs> versus, you know, a pitcher. So clearly pitchers are not very good at hitting and getting on base. And I know there's guys out there, and we'll talk about them, that you hear, you know, hit a home run here, hit a home run there. Um, they're on, you know, a certain pace to hit X amount of home runs in a season if they get as many as bats. But these are really one-offs here and there, um, and there's no real consistency there. So, yeah, so so it's, not, it's not a golf stat, right? I'm at, the higher it is, the better it is. And <laughs> something you said that really stuck out to me is, you know, things are so specialized now. I feel like pitchers are probably more likely to hurt themselves <laughs> from batting. I mean, it doesn't even look natural when they step in the batter's box. I've always thought in my head, wouldn't the pitcher be the best hitter? Wouldn't he know what the other pitcher is doing? Wouldn't he know what the other guy's coming at him with? but not the case based on the numbers you're providing here. Yeah, and I think pitchers kind of, they may have a, a, a hand up in sort of that chess game of what's coming, but, you know, having an idea of what's coming and being able to hit and, and be proficient in that versus actually being able to hit is very, very different. And from an injury standpoint, man, when we talked about this earlier, brought up some salty memories as a Yankee fan. Uh, Chedman Wong for the Yankees got hurt while running the bases in 2008. They're playing the Astros. He got hurt running to first, and he actually ended up tearing a ligament in his foot, um, and he missed the rest of the year. And that completely changed his career. He was ace for the Yankees. He started in 2006. He went 19 and six. 2007, he went 19 and seven. 2008, the year he got injured, he was 8-2 and two up until that injury. Didn't finish the season, came back in 2009, 1-6. 1-6. Was traded away from the Yankees at the end of that season, in the middle of that season. Didn't really play in 2010. 2011, 4-3 with the Nationals. 2012, 2-3 with the Nationals. 2013, 1-2 with the Blue Jays was out of the league for a little bit, came back in 2016 as a surprise bullpen piece, 6-0 with the Royals, hasn't played since. So you look at that that career trajectory, 19-6, 19-7, great start, 8-2, going into June of a season, and all of a sudden you've turned into pretty much nothing, right? So major, major impact on a pitcher that had a very, very promising career, one injury, throws off his mechanics, throws off his plant foot, how he's following through, all of that. So injuries for pitchers, you know, depending on how severe, can have very, very long-term ramifications. Um, and that's just one example that just hit me in the face when we talked about this. And subtle plug, Ahmet was a pitcher, folks, so he does know what he's talking about here and knows about the mechanics and all the intricacies of getting that pitch to where it needs to go at the most efficient and effective way possible. And I know even something as silly sounding as a foot can affect that. And a lot of guys are affected by that. Oh yeah. And and from a pitcher's perspective, look, I loved hitting in high school and even in college, but it's a different beast when you get to that next level, right? At least in high school, you got the aluminum bats. You, 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 everyone's got power, right? 
college, you're still working with a lot of aluminum. Everyone's got power. Once you move to wood and you got guys throwing, you know, high 90s, low hundreds, it's it's just a different beast in terms of how they're coming at you. And if that's not your forte, if that's not what you're practicing every day, you're not going to be successful. There are guys that are better than others, but to be even adequate and good is is very difficult. So bringing in the universal DH, what's that going to add to the National League? Well, that's 15 more slots for batter first players, right? So if you're an older guy in the league right now, especially in the National League right now, man, you could all of a sudden tack on a couple more years to your career and you could add some offensive help to the rest of your team. So I think it could be... Um, you know, a, a real boon to bring it in. Now, while there's so many good things and there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of positives we can point out, the reason this has been an argument for so long is that there's also the other piece of it, right? Part of the fact that the DH only exists in the American League makes baseball a little quirky, right? Because there's all of a sudden this pride of whether you follow an American League team or a National League team. And all those National League fans out there will tell you, right? We don't have our we have our pitcher hitting, we have small belt, we have small ball involved. You know, there's all this stuff going on in the National League game that just doesn't exist in the American League because you don't have to worry about it. If you think of it this way, the pitcher is essentially potentially just another strikeout or an easy out in that National League lineup that they have to play around and try to make them significant, where you don't have that problem in the American League. So that's true. Small ball. My Rays do, uh, you know, my Rays do play with lineups and pitchers. So they are a semi-national league team in the American League. <laughs> they try. They try. And, they, and look, the Rays have always been kind of like, let's try something new. They had the opener. You know, it was I think it was two years ago, midway through the season, they traded away their last starting pitcher. So they had no starters left. It was all relievers. Um, and injuries, yeah. Relieving yeah, injuries. yeah, yeah. Between injuries and you know who they had, but I mean, talking about small ball, Tom Glavin has the second most sacrifice bunts among any player to play since the expansion era, 1961 to present day. So a pitcher has the most sacrifice bunts. And really quickly, what is a sacrifice bunt? It's when a hitter will bunt. You square around. You bunt the ball down and you're going to get out at first base. They're going to throw you out at first, but it advances a runner. So why would you use this? You have a runner at first. You want to get him in a scoring position. The pitcher's up. Sack bunt him over to second. Runner on second. You want to get him even closer to scoring position. Try to squeeze bunt him over to third. So it's, those are the chess pieces in the National League of moving runners, stealing bases, trying to really work that pitcher's position in that you don't have in the American League. And National League fans tell you that it's a very intricate process. Um, you know, pinch hitting and double switches where you have someone hit for the pitcher, right? But if they hit for the pitcher in that situation, then they have to play in the field, but you also ha don't have them pitching, right? So all of a sudden, if Bob comes in for the pitcher, right, and bats, well, technically now Bob has to be the pitcher, but Bob's not a pitcher. So now Bob's got to go somewhere else in the field and you've got to switch someone else out and then bring a pitcher in. So there's there's those little pieces of how many roster spots are being used and how you're managing games. That is different in the National League and National League purists and baseball purists love that. But beyond the chess match that is managing baseball games, 
there is another piece of having a pitcher bat that I would have to agree is kind of cool and kind of fun, right? I mean, I think it's just fun to see somebody do something they don't normally do, a la another Dominican, Bartolo Colon, who, you know, he, let's just, his nickname is Big Sexy. So, and <laughs> anybody seen videos of Big Sexy stretching, running? Although he's a portly man, I mean, I would argue he's a very flexible and fluid man. <laughs> man, his his workout videos are crazy. Like that man is very flexible, very athletic, very fit. And there's air quotes around fit because he he's built like Santa Claus. Yeah, but he does not move around like him. So it's funny because on May seventh, Bartolo Colon hit his first major league home run. And actually, that was at the age of 42 and 349 days. He broke a record, Ahmed, for the oldest person to ever hit their first home run. <laughs> he was nearly 43 years old. He actually beat the record of another pitcher, Hall of Famer Randy Johnson, who had been the oldest player to hit his first career home run in 2003 when he hit his first at age 40. Another fun fact, another Dominican. Cologne became the second oldest player to hit a home run in a Mets uniform, trailing only Julio Franco, who homered at the age of 48 years old. <laughs> and 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 just to clarify, Julio Franco, Dominican. Randy Johnson, not Dominican. Exactly. <laughs> Julio Franco, definitely the Dominican here. And uh, Bartolo watches his home run. I'm at nearly every day he watches the home run. <laughs> That barely squeaked I mean, out of the yard. <laughs> hey, it was an exciting moment for him. And I'll be honest, like watching a pitcher go yard, that there's something fun about seeing that happen. Um, you know, if you if you if you're on Instagram or you're on Twitter, there's the hashtag pitchers who rake, and that's essentially you know pitchers who can hit. Uh, and it's just fun. There's always alerts out when some pitcher goes goes hits the long ball, goes yard. Um, we all remember, as I remember, Madison Bumgarner, probably one of the more prolific home run hitters as a pitcher. Um, he hit multiple home runs on opening day. Um, but it's it's fun to watch him because there's this, hey, this guy's not even supposed to be hitting. And not only did he hit, but he hit a home run. Right? It's, it's, like, watching a punter. it's like watching a punter hit somebody in football. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like when we, when you see like you know when a lineman sets up so he can receive as an eligible receiver, yeah. and then you know that that's the kind of stuff that happens here. So it, it is fun, and there is definitely that piece of it. But I think the league is moving towards a, a place where a the added roster spots are going to be very very helpful um, this year and moving forward. And I think it'll add to the offensive burst um, across the board. Let's wrap this thing up. For our first story, we talked the match and other sports that have returned around the world and what the implications have been. For our second story, we talked about the NHL and NBA returning stateside and the protocols and what playoffs would look like. And for our final story, we talked about the universal designated hitter in baseball and whether we'll finally get to see what it looks like in a 2020 shortened baseball season. Thank you for going beyond the numbers with us. We're a weekly podcast dedicated to going beyond the numbers of sports and life 
to bring you the story within the story of the stories that matter. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening on now, please be sure to click the follow or subscribe button to get our latest content. And remember, you can find us on Instagram, Beyond the Numbers Podcast, and on Twitter, at BeyondTN Podcast. Until next time, peace! peace.